Daddy Junior, this is your wife speaking. Get to the pickup and plug in your cellular phone. Them city councilors in Aurora, Colorado have been calling and calling and calling down here to the double wide. They need your help. Now I know they all prayed at you when they got up this morning and they prayed at you some more every dang time they sat down to food. And they prayed about the Broncos and about keeping them Colorado stoners from turning gay. But they need your help running the city. Every single time they have a council meeting, they need to get a hold of you, but quick. Right after they punch in on the clock, they have to talk to you. Not a one of them can get a lick of work done until they do. Them city councilors need to know which ones of the snow routes to plow so then their ambulances can get all the people you let get hurt to them doctors. If and you aren't going to make them more blood the way you made that noisy lady more spaghetti that time, them ambulances just got to get through. Now, this last thing is important, Daddy Junior. Here's what them their elected officials forgot to tell you. When you're playing around with them cars, crashing them together, which I know you love to do, never, ever, ever crash them into them lycra folks what ride those fancy bicycles. Now skin that catfish and get on home. Hello, this is Brian of the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. This is episode 101. Joining me this evening, Sean. Laughing at all the people who said we'd never make it past 100. And dumbass. I'm watching you while you're sleeping. <laughs> and uh, Terry, of course. Happy Vajanuary. Vajanuary. Vajanuary is the female equivalent of Movember, where women allow their pubic hair to grow throughout January. Oh, all right. All right. Well... Vagina Americans rejoice. That's right. Or not. Do whatever you want. Or, or do whatever you want, right? I'm not I'm not a fan of the Brazilian, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm not either. No. I, I mean, once it's done, I don't mind it. But ooh, I mean, I can understand some sculpting, you know, but I think there should be hair, some little hair down there. Right? Yeah. And maybe, maybe you could just put the hair into an arrow, you know, just to let me know where to go. Just because you need that. I, <laughs> right, exactly. I, I need direction. The landing lights. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Actually, <laughs> glow in the dark tattoos. <laughs> People do like um, crystals, like oh, little crystal yeah. designs. You could do, you could do like an airstrip kind of thing. I like it. I, I, I do too. I like it. All right. Well, how is everybody else doing this evening? I'm doing great. Th- that's an I'm awful doing pretty lot good. Of, yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, Mac. Uh, Tango told me good morning this morning. Well, that's excellent. Did you record it's- it? I didn't have the recorder. Catches me with the stuff by surprise. Uh, it's it's very whistly though. Oh yeah. Good morning. So, I bet he could say. Apollo just screams like my old, like my youngest child. Yeah. Oh god, it's obnoxious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and apparently, uh, Sid the cockatoo. Apparently, at some point in his past, he learned some of the lyrics to House of a Thousand Corpses. Excellent. Yeah. <gasps> he also knows some of the lyrics to Rawhide. Hey, what do you guys think your your creepiest childhood toy was? What is the creepiest childhood toy you remember from 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 your childhood? Hmm. 
The clown, the punching clown. The punching I always thought clown, that was because yeah. it was bigger than me. I still think Teddy Ruxpin was like. Yeah, I never had creepy. that Teddy Ruxpin, but that is probably the creepiest toy. I I had the uh, I did actually have the the famous rocket launching Colonial Viper that uh, had uh, like two or three fatalities before they changed the structure of the rockets that were fired by all toys, so that short small rockets could no longer be used. Hmm. And strong springs. I never owned a Teddy Rexman. I just thought it was creepy. <laughs> I went to that Disneyland, that Disneyland show, the Jubilee thing with the, it was like Teddy Rexman. The Country Bear Jubilee? Yes. Oh, my oh, yeah. God. Oh. Uh, you know, uh, and we had our own version of that here in Colorado, the Chuck E. Cheese. And oh. before that, the... Uh, showbiz. Yeah, Showbiz Pizza Palace. Yeah. yeah. You nailed it. Yeah. They bought Chuck E. G's bought showbiz. They and so mm-hmm. they took all those creepy things up on stage and they and they meshed them all together into one creepy ensemble. Ugh. Yep. Wow. Our dumbass? Creepy yeah. toy? No, I'm just uh I, I was just thinking back too. Yeah, I remember those Chuck E. Cheese um robots. <laughs> I guess that yeah, that was a little creepy. <laughs> I think they're still creepy. <laughs> Didn't even notice it at the time, but thinking back, yeah, creepy. Yeah. Well, hey, let's get started with a creature feature this evening. We're we're going to talk about the I.I. Well, I'm yep. not going to talk about it. Max going to tell me all about the I.I. I am going to tell you about the I.I. But why? Why? Because it fascinates me. Excellent. I first encountered this creature in an illustration in an encyclopedia or some form of informative book. I just, I turned to this illustration and this creature is just absolutely fascinating looking. Um... You know, it's, it's basically, it's a, it's a dark colored lemur with the uh, description that I read from Douglas Adams today, which was pretty apt, was he said it looks like a large cat with bat ears and a long bony twig for a fit, for a middle finger. That is, uh, okay. And, uh. I assume he uses it to pick his nose. No, they <laughs> no. actually use him to, to, uh, dig grubs out of both to tap logs looking for hollow spots and when they find the hollow spots to dig into the hollow spots and get bugs out. And to pick their nose. <laughs> and apparently to kill people if you believe the uh, Malagasy. Well, now that's a, that's an wait, interesting wait. point. What? Now, now, do the fingers glow? Uh, and <laughs> no. They, no, they're not like E.T.? <laughs> no. They have some of these at the Denver Zoo. They're really cool. They're really neat. They are very, very cool. They're also really, really rare at this point. And this is one of those creatures that is not only being wiped out due to, you know, greed for its habitat, people needing needing uh, the land for agriculture, but also due to superstition. And um, the superstition is that if, if the eye points at you with its middle finger, you will die. Well, that would be true of everyone. Right. Eventually. You know, well, what, why is that? What, where did this superstition come from? Uh, that's that's the thing of it. No, I don't know. I wasn't able to find anything as to where the superstition actually came from. Um, lemurs in general are kind of the focus of a lot of superstitions. Lemur, the, the word lemur actually comes from lemur, which means death spirit. But this particular one seemed to freak people out worse than anything, apparently. Hmm. That's a pretty severe one, too, because it's not just like he points at you and you get bad luck or something. points at you and you'll no. die. He points at you, you die. That's pretty severe. So they, they were, you know, essentially they were killing these creatures any time they happened to come across one. So what, what, else, what else should I know about the I.I.? Well, they do have some of them at the Duke Lemur Center. 
that they're trying to preserve and bring back from the brink. Is Do they a- breed well in captivity? Do they? Don't think they breed well anywhere. Oh. Um, lifespan: twenty-six years in captivity, unknown in the wild. Sexual maturity. Uh, okay. Uh, births may occur at any time of the year. Yeah, that was so. The, yeah, that was interesting about these is that they used to think that they had a breeding season, but no, it looks like they will reproduce at any time. I went back. I, I I went back because I remembered that there was a chapter on the II in Douglas Adams's Last Chance to See, and reread the chapter. And the most interesting thing about it was he was talking about the fact that the lemurs stayed as a viable species because Madagascar was kind of a monkey-free zone. And then the monkeys showed up again, except they were the monkeys' descendants, and they showed up in boats and then planes. Um, so they re- they created a new, a new monkey-free zone as a lemur habitat on one of the smaller islands, which is where they where he finally went to go and view these lemurs with a zoologist. And his observation was that he was a monkey looking at a lemur. So I, what I thought was interesting about them that they are the largest nocturnal primate. I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, I thought that was interesting. And so they, they're considered harbingers of death. Uh, they're considered like, harbingers yeah, of death, much like crows are. Yeah. Um, and it, you know what I was talking about with the uh, tapping? They use percussion hunting like woodpeckers do. Ah. They'll tap. They will tap with the middle finger looking for hollow spots in the logs, and then when they find the hollow spots, they'll dig out what's in there. That's really cool. That's, yeah, that's pretty evolved. They have excellent hearing. Oh, they'd have to with those ears. Yeah, well, I found an article that talks about their, but, you know, that they had good hearing, but, um, yeah, they're, they're actually a really cool-looking animal. But I tell you what, I am not related to, to no I.I. Somewhere way back you are. <laughs> Yeah, I think the lemurs, langurs, and lorises are one of the main splits from the yeah, the, the, yeah, so they're related chimpanzees and and gorillas, so they're they're all they're all part of that family. Yeah. yeah, the the main difference between the lemurs and the lemurs and the monkeys is that the monkeys were a lot more ambitious, and the lemurs pretty much had an environment that was perfect and didn't really have to strive to evolve. Mm. So they're so they're well evolved for for their habitat already. They're they're perfect in their habitat, but they are not really well suited to competing. They're not. They don't adapt. Maybe as correct. Yeah. All right. Very cool. What Anything? I'm getting here is that we're all supportive of evolution. Um. Yes. We. Yes. We are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but they they are they're an interesting animal, and uh, you know, there aren't a lot of nocturnal primates, are there? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. I I don't I can't think of any. I can't think of any other nocturnal primates. I, the only ones I can think of are actually in the lemur family. That might so. be true. I, I don't know. Um, they're also these are uh, solitary animals, which it was just interesting. But they said that they will tolerate other males until until a female in heat comes around, and then yeah. then the then they, it's on. The females are very solitary, but the males are more social. Uh, they're social with each other during certain times of the year. Okay. They'll they'll hang with each other a little bit, but the females tend to tend to make a tend to kind of carve a wide a wide circle. Very Humans good. are pretty much exactly the same way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Anything else? No, well, that's pretty much the most important part about the IIs. Okay. Before we go on to our progressives of the week, I just wanted to thank Peter Kennold. Um, for our new music, and and I put it um first on our uh, um 
on episode 100. I got it. I got it on there. So it is the uh, it is the intro music for episode 100, and it's definitely a big change from um from the music that we used to have. And to me, it has a real anime feel to it. And so I, I it made me think of Ranma. I, I don't know. But uh, I thought it was cool, and uh, and I really appreciate having our own music. Somebody that you know wrote a piece of music for us, so that that's great. I wanted to thank him for that. Um, yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, I really it does like sound it. great. Yeah, so yep, he's uh, awesome. Um, cool, we're gathering ourselves some dedicated fans. We are, yes, and so that uh, that was that was great that he did that for us. Um, you can find more of his stuff at SoundCloud.com forward slash p-k-a-n-o-l-d and of course that'll be in the show notes and uh, the, you know we'll put a little um that you know that'll you can, you'll be able to find more information about him on our page at least a link to his stuff peter when you hear this you will now know that you've been moved to being the most important of our three fans <laughs> you know, exactly, until somebody right? else does something interesting for us that, that's a heck of an upgrade what does he get Satisfaction. Satisfaction. Uh, social status. Social status. <laughs> oh, by the way, um, the Is latest that social uh, status or social stigma. Status. <laughs> status. Go ahead, dumbass. The, the latest issue of uh, Skeptical Briefs is out, and uh, the article I wrote about you guys is in there. Oh, excellent. Oh, that's awesome. Of course, I, I, I wrote that before you guys asked me to join in with you. So it, it, now uh, now that I I am part of the podcast, it seems a little self-serving. But at the time, you know, I, I had nothing to do with you guys, really, except for that I wrote to you a lot. Yeah. Well, that's... <laughs> We're glad Just for, for, for anybody who found the podcast through that, um, I, I had nothing to do with the podcast at the time I wrote that article. <laughs> Except for we were paying him. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. In social status. And coming I up still with... haven't received that check in the mail, Brian. Uh, um, um, you know what? It's I'm sure it's coming along with your bail money. Okay. <laughs> All right. So are, um, let's move on to our progressives of the week. So I have two stories from my family's ancestral homeland. The first article is about Utah's progressive solution to homelessness. From the article, here's a quote, Utah has reduced its rate of chronic homelessness by 78% over the past eight years, moving 2,000 people off the street and putting the state on track to eradicate homelessness altogether by 2015. How do they do it? The state is giving away apartments, no strings attached. In 2005, Utah calculated the annual cost of ER visits and jail stays for an average homeless person was $16,670, while the cost of providing an apartment and social worker would be 11000 Each participant works with a caseworker to become self-sufficient, but if they fail, they still get to keep the apartment. I, I was really, I was surprised by this article because it, it reeks to me of socialism. Yeah, you know I there are going to be it. like conservatives who are complaining about this. You know, oh, those they think they can get uh, themselves a, a home without working for it. It's all just giving this stuff away to people. Yeah, someone said to me about this. What's the incentive to work if you're going to get a free apartment? Yeah, but at the same time, we've got large numbers of buildings in Denver and Aurora that have been abandoned and empty. Because some company has moved out and nobody else has moved in. Yeah. So this might just simply wipe out a lot of that empty space. Convert these places over to apartments or things like that. I mean, we've got, uh, you know, pretty much every Albertsons, I think there's one left in town, but pretty much every Albertsons closed and left, left those buildings pretty much empty. Yeah, I'm sure it's not a perfect solution, but it sounds like such an intuitive and fiscally responsible way to address this problem. And well, if know, they, 
Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, if they can get um, help for their mental, if there are mental health issues involved, if they can get on track with assistance for that and, and you know, the other things they need to stabilize, I think it's great. Well, I, I was just going to say that uh, a lot of people spend a, a lot of time, you know, trying to, you know, like worrying about people. Some people are going to get uh, uh, a free ride on something, you know, just because they're poor and it. it and uh, they want they want things to work out in a meritocracy sort of way, which is which is a fine thing. Think, but the thing is, this system never has been a meritocracy. There will always be people who get it who are getting free ride uh, on the backs of others, and especially the rich will be getting things uh, way easier. Not just because they're rich, but because they're also giving in a lot of other uh, extra incentives over what everybody else gets. So it's like. You know, it's not a meritocratic system. People aren't assigned their their lot in life based on uh, how how much uh, how well they work for it and and all that. But why are we worried if uh, you know? Because uh, it's not going to be like a whole lot of people. Most people want to actually earn for a living. We're worried about a small number of people who might be uh, leeching off the system and maybe uh, you know living living it up a little more than others. Um, it's like. You know, there's really not a solution that will be perfectly meritocratic for everybody. Well, the other the other portion of that is that we, we kind of have a choice because we know that income level affects crime, and that more the more impoverished you are, the more likely you are to commit a crime. If we're giving people what they need, I would like to see how that affects crime rates in in those populations. Um, you know, and we know the other thing that our legal system, you know, if you have more money, you get you get better justice. We when we, we've seen that recently with that with that guy who because he he was so he murdered somebody. Affluenza. Yeah, affluenza, right? So <laughs> so the, the, we have we have a lot of issues there. So I I would that's I would, a disease I'd love to have. <laughs> right. Yeah, <me> too. <laughs> But we have a lot of people who um, who don't have everything they need just to get by every day. We can't employ all these people, but it probably is cheaper. And clearly, you know, they decided, well, it, instead of hiring social workers by giving these people a home, you know, we're, we're offsetting costs. And if we don't have to put them in jail, we're probably offsetting costs as well. Except and for- it sounds like they have, uh, they have caseworkers and who knows how overloaded they are, but well, at least maybe an entry into the system to get some of the other assistance that they might need, you know, for other issues in their lives. It's so much easier to go out and look for a job and to do those kinds of things when you're not worried about where you're going to stay that night, and where your next meal is going to come from. It- well, and if, if you don't have a residence, people will generally not hire you. Yeah, like, how do you shower? How do you yeah. show up with your job interview for your job interview with clean clothes? You know, if mm-hmm. you don't have a home, there are all these barriers that that helps with. Yep. So, also, are we ready? If you show up, if you show up for a job interview with a shopping cart, people do find that off-putting. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> are we ready for the second? I, we're always ready for the second topic. All right, the second topic, uh, the second progressive of the week is Utah again. Same-sex marriage in Utah. In Utah, people, the state where I spent the most difficult of my very difficult formative years, <laughs> where any behavior outside the most narrow, exacting facade of absolute perfection triggers severe social shunning and public shaming, where all good families are white and delightsome. <laughs> white and delightsome. <laughs> That's a quote from the Book of Mormon. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> where women are supposed to submit to their husbands who have the priesthood authority to act on behalf of God. Where no one masturbates, women aren't sexual, and non-virginal unmarried women are treated like used chewing gum. 
who wants to chew someone else's used chewing gum, people? Where <laughs> victims of all stripes are blamed because obviously they weren't pleasing enough to God to warrant his protection. And where the prevailing belief among the older rural conservative ruling class, LDS populace, is that gay men are always pedophiles. In December, in Utah, U.S. District Judge Robert J. Shelby struck down a 2004 state law that banned same-sex marriages on the grounds that such a ban was unconstitutional. The Utah Attorney General is desperately trying to get the court to say that the, to stay the ruling to buy himself some more time to appeal. Meanwhile, adults who love each other are getting married in droves in Utah. However, cultural sea changes take little time and discrimination is still rampant. The Salt Lake Tribune published an op-ed on December 28th titled, Same-Sex Marriage in Utah but Still No Equality. From that article, homophobia and blatant prejudice in the in the state of Utah is nevertheless alive and well. This was evident by the way the governor, Gary Hebert, erroneously described the ruling by Judge Robert J. Shelby as creating chaotic situation in the state. By the way, certain county officials refused to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples even after the ruling, and despite it being illegal to do so, and by countless dissenting and hateful comments and editorials written in local newspapers. No doubt. I'm sure that's true. But still, Utah. Who knew? Who knew that Utah could have same-sex marriage? Kudos to Utah. Oh, wait a second. This just in from Think Progress. <laughs> <laughs> On December 29th, Utah plans to spend $2 million in taxpayer money to defend anti-gay discrimination. So um, after a bunch of legal back and forth since then, the Supreme Court of the United States um, Justice Sotomayor issued a stay on additional same-sex marriage licenses in Utah on January 6th. And I think it's a temporary stay, but I don't know the time frame for resolving the issue. So marriages are off, same-sex marriages are off. And then Wikipedia has a breakdown of the evolving conflict. On January 9th, Utah's Attorney General advised county clerks to complete processing marriage certificates for same-sex couples whose marriages were solemnized prior to the morning of January 6th. And the state has determined that under the stay, it would return to enforcing Utah's ban on allowing the, or recognizing same-sex marriages. On January 10th, U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder announced that the federal government will recognize the 1,360 same-sex marriages that had already been performed in Utah prior to the stay. So that's where it stands as of the 10th. Right, and they're planning to use $2 million of taxpayer money to continue to defend their right to be um, anti-gay. Yep. Now, hasn't the hasn't the Mormon Church kind of been courting both people of non-white persuasion as well as homosexuals? So, in 1978, the prophet, seer, and revelator of the LDS Church received a vision from God saying that all of a sudden black men could hold the priesthood authority in the church. So that that was like the kind of the turning moment. But they're not white and delightsome. I know. They're, I think they are editing the text now. I think the newer versions of the Book of Mormon don't use that language. But my version from prior to 1978 does. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean... Wow, that, it, they, they can do that? I mean, that, that's like their Bible. Like, Well, I guess people, I guess new translations of the Bible, but this isn't right. even a translation or anything. Yeah, actually... Um... Uh, Joseph Smith had some interesting takes on that. He he felt that um that there could be multiple prophets. So that's how they get around some of that stuff. Is so somebody else can have a um can can have a prophetic pro, pro, vision, and and that can be and that and, and that can become canon as well. Um, there there it's very malleable from what I can tell. Yeah, it, well, it seems to be. What's interesting to me is the cultural influence, and I had thought that same-sex marriage was the issue of the day, and that maybe the whoever the president of the church is right now um, 
whose name I can't remember, uh, that maybe he would get a, a revelation about same-sex marriage. But I, in my anecdotal experience with the people who grew up in that white and delightsome era, um, it, it's not going to change very quickly if it ever does in Utah. Well, uh, very few people are going to defend, you know, like uh, holding like white and del- delightsome over black people anymore. Uh, but there, there's still a, a core group of people who are <clears throat> defending homophobia. Right. Well, and they will try to they will try to bring homosexuals into the church. You can't be confirmed, right? You can't you can't get sacraments, but they are trying to encourage them being open to try and get them into the church so that basically they can change their persuasion. Well, I think that you can be homosexual and be in the church if you don't act on your right. sexuality. You can't as long as you're not acting on it, then you can receive sacraments. But, it, but I believe, yeah, yeah, I believe that's true. Yeah, there's a whole sea change happening right now. I feel like in Mormon culture, and we should really—I could do some research, and we should really try to do an episode on that because it's kind of fascinating. Well, eventually, the people who are like arguing against uh, all all this stuff—they're—they're going to become less and less relevant. I mean, right now, they're—I think. They just, this is their last gasp, so to speak. They're, they're losing the culture wars and they're yelling as loud as they can and they're, they're still going to be continued to be heard for a little while, but they're going to, yeah. uh, they're just going to eventually go away. Well, this is an age well, thing. You know, they, we know it, that. I was going to say it is an age thing. I think that a lot of the people who are trying to drag this back into the past are, you know, not merely Mormon elders, but elders, period. Them becoming less relevant is also going to be coming alongside a lot of them becoming a lot less alive just simply through the march of time. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's going to happen first in the in like the Salt Lake City metro area. There's a lot of rural Utah that I think is going to be decades away from coming around to this idea. Well, we have that same issue in you know in Colorado where we have you know Denver that's fairly progressive, we have Boulder that's fairly progressive, um, and then we've got you know we've got Colorado Springs, we've got um, uh, what about what. You know the eastern slope where there are a lot more conservatives. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. it, it's it's that way everywhere. You know, we'll 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 bring them kicking and screaming. But what the one thing I did want that I think was interesting is that they kept accusing the judge um, from I think it was the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals that he was being an activist judge. They keep calling him an activist judge, but I but they never gave they never cited any evidence as to to, to show that he was biased in any way, to show that he was being an activist judge and not acting within the law. They're just poisoning the well, as uh, as Mac was pointing out to us before the yeah. podcast. Um the, the, yeah, if he if he makes a ruling that disagrees with you, then he's an activist judge. Well and we see that a lot, right? Yeah, um, we see it all the time. Yeah, but, well, it, it yeah. is possible that the judge was acting on his beliefs, but the belief in particular, this particular case, was that you know that you should go with what the law actually says rather than what. Right, exactly. Which is not being an activist judge. Um, but if now, on the other hand, if he's making this judgment because he's doing it because he's gay and wants to get married, then there might be a conflict of interest there. Doesn't it? Doesn't look like he's actually doing that. It looks like they're just they're just saying that you know to you know, to tar and feather him. Um, So here's one thing I don't understand about the, one of the things I read about the arguments against same-sex marriage is the, this idea that if you outlaw same-sex marriage, it somehow preserves heteronormative marriages that somehow if you allow gay people to get married, it's going to dissolve or, you know, break up heterosexual marriages, which don't have a, a particularly great track record to begin with. Um, no, so they think it's, it's going to tear apart families, and I just don't understand how one has anything to do with the other. It, it doesn't. It's all about it's all about the fact that marriage is a sacrament. It, it's it's sacred. 
So if but, you cheapen it by allowing people who aren't supposed to get married to get married, you're cheapening it and you're making it less sacred to everybody. That's right. the argument. And that's purely a religious argument. It isn't a legal argument. Right. Right. So it cheapens it in the eyes of the church, but in the eyes of the law, all it does is provide equality. Well, the church doesn't they, have to provide same-sex marriages. It doesn't. They don't have to that's sanction true. that. Yeah. But since the church is sees itself as being the guiding moral authority, they are also the people who say what 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 direction the culture goes. Now, this is interesting. When you look at the opinion polls on this off of the Wikipedia page, um, it it the, so they have a poll in um, November of two thousand four where same sex marriage was, was in favor by twenty one percent, civil unions twenty five, and no legal recognition fifty four percent. Contrast that to February of twenty twelve, where twenty eight percent are for um, same sex marriage or marriage equality. Civil unions at forty three percent, and no legal recognition down to twenty nine percent. Wow, so that's surprising. That's a that's a huge jump. I mean, it took eight years, right? But I mean, that that's that's what it takes to make those kinds of changes. So the opinion polls have definitely swung. But where they haven't where they haven't made a lot of progress is on is when you use the word marriage. And <clears throat> I really wish Kimberly was here because we keep having this discussion. And and albeit she that she's right. And, and that what they're, what they're saying, kind of what the several unions is, is separate but equal. And, and I get that and I understand it, but it is a stepping stone to, to getting this where we need to be. We have to accept progress where we, where we get it. And I, and, and even in Colorado, we got civil unions. We did not get same sex marriage. My, now to my understanding, they are essentially equal, right? They get the yeah. same rights on paper. Which is what's well, if, if 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 they get exactly the same rights and there's absolutely no difference, then what you're playing there is a game of semantics, which is right. just silly. It is a game of semantics, uh, but but, I, but Kimberly absolutely hates separate but equal. Right, and, but she's right. I mean, I, I yeah. get that. I get that she's right, but I do want to take the progress where we get it. We can't. We can't. Um, you know. Shoot well, usually the when foot. they say separate but equal, they don't really mean separate but equal. That's true. If if, if separate but equal actually does mean separate but equal, then uh, I'm kind of it just doesn't. Uh, it's not that big a deal to me personally. And you guys know my my feelings on this. I, I'm not sure if I mentioned it on the show or not, but um, the the thing about it when they say you know like government shouldn't define what a marriage is, uh, uh, the thing that strikes me about that it's like. Um, that actually, to me, gives them like a valid point because government doesn't get to decide what language means. So it's like I want to take that completely off the table. That yeah. let let's not let government uh to decide what a word in a in a language should mean. And that's why I have the the kooky idea that uh, government uh, should uh, you know just give everybody uh just a, a contract for you know and you can call it whatever you want. It's a social contract. A civil union. Yeah. And, and, and I've said that before too, that, 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 you know, we just eliminate marriage and we just give everybody a civil union because the, all that, all that the state should be involved in is, is issuing civil unions, not marriage and marriage should be left to the church. But, but we have in the, in, in the U.S. have, have, that's a problem because of the width of the language is currently on the books. And it's a, and it's a huge change to, to go that direction. But by adding I, I civil did. unions, I just don't like that, you know, because uh, pretty much every single argument that uh, the um, anti-gay people have against uh, uh, against gay marriage is completely idiotic, co completely 
you know, illogical. They're, they're losing the argument. The only thing they have is the government, and it, it, it's a thin st- string to grab onto, but that's their only valid point that the government shouldn't decide the use of language. And I want to take that off the table for them personally. Uh, I, I yeah. agree. Yeah. Um, but we can't be, it, I, the, the feeling is that we're giving people a lesser marriage. And since that's kind of the, even whether, whether it's true or not on paper, that's the feeling. And I understand why that's a problem. I don't understand why people think that, though. Like, uh, your marriage to your wife has nothing to do with my marriage to my husband in the same way that Kimberly's relationship has nothing to do with my marriage. I mean, on the ground, in the individual home, it doesn't matter what other people do well, in their other marriage. That, that's <laughs> you know a really good I mean? point. Marriage means something different to every every person. I mean, not, to, not every marriage also means... Um, celibacy or or exclusiveness to one partner right you know and so there are all these different you know ways that people utilize marriage and and they have different ways that they make it work for them and so yeah we we can't and so i all i want is that at the state level that we can say two people can 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 marry each other And, and in fact in many marriages exclusiveness to one partner is only actually believed in by one of the partners in the marriage (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm, uh, uh, that one of the things they uh, they often say is that oh, if we let these people marry, then uh, people will uh, marry uh, two or three people. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, we were talking about Utah. Yeah. Well, yes. You know, if we were. I, you know, I this might be even a little controversial, <laughs> but I'm fine with you know, I, I of course I have the ick reaction to that, but I'm fine with somebody marrying their sister if they want to or whatever. Sure. You know, the the issue that I have with polygamy is purely a how do you deal with property issue. And as long as they figure out how they're going to deal with property, uh, I, I you know, I, I'm fine with that. That's my main problem that they, you know, that that is going to get hung up in the courts yeah, and there'll be legal battles. And how, how do you deal with division of property in that? Yeah. My, my criteria is just, sorry, uh, I was just going to say my, my criteria is just anything that uh, uh, adults want to agree in together, uh, consenting adults, fine with me. Right. Consenting adults was my point. And often yeah. the polygamy that takes place, like we said before, in the FLDS church and whatnot involves children. So. Right. It's not that's see, but that's different because that's not consenting adults. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And people being forced into those kinds of relationships are not consenting adults. And that's certainly not what we're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That is different. So. All right. So um, in, in this idea that that because gay marriage is legal, people are more likely to, to marry uh, same sex and, instead of marrying the opposite sex and people are going to stop having children and, and we're all going to be gay because gay marriage is legal. It's kind of ridiculous. Well, you can imagine like the one person or the few people who, for social pressure reasons, tried tried to ignore that part of themselves because there was really no outlet for it. I that, mean, I guess maybe that's different. No, no, no. I there mean, might be one. I don't know. It's a silly argument. And and it's I had ridiculous. and I had a boss that was stupid enough to to try and try that on me. Well, you I have to take to it to its, you have to take us <laughs> to its extreme, right? That that's its most extreme. That nobody gets a heterosexual marriage instead. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go out and get me a gay marriage right now while I can. I want to know who you're going to you marry. You know, Brian, I, I've never noticed before, but your ve- your beard is very attractive. You like that? Yes. <laughs> oh, and, uh, you know, you're... You know, Brian, I was saying you got a pretty mouth. That's right, Zach. Hey, listen, we can have a three-way gay marriage now. Woohoo! Woo! All right. My wife's just laughing at us. She, she doesn't believe me. Oh, well, you can get your own gay marriage. <laughs> she she wants to get she she my her gay marriage has nothing to do with my gay marriage. She can go get her own. That's, That's right. right. I'm not setting her up. That's ridiculous. 
All right, let's move on. Are, are we ready? Are we done? She doesn't even look good in Birkenstocks. <laughs> you don't know that. <laughs> All right, we're we're, we're going to move on. We're gonna, I want to talk about the crypto locker virus. Do you guys know what this is? Any ideas? Just what you've told uh, me about it. That was that movie That's about defusing bombs, I think. Yeah. Dumbass, you know what this is, don't you? Yeah, uh, is, is that a virus created by Bigfoot? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> that you know what that would be a far better story, and I wish I had it, but I don't. Uh, um, I think if you were talking about uh, the virus that uh, scrambles your hard drive and uh, they oh, ransom uh, it back, to ransom you. it to with give you the key to unscramble it. That's that's what's going on here. So, um, the CryptoLocker virus is a is a, a type of malware, and and we've, malware is is you know malicious programs that that are that get installed on your computer and there are uh many different ways that that can happen um most of the time um it, they they well a lot of times they they come in well like if you're surfing the internet and you want to watch a video it'll tell you you have to install this player first and then you'll you'll get infected you'll get something um you might get an email that says hey um you're being sued um and you need to appear in court to get more information click here and you can get in, you can get infected that way or uh, another way that people get infected with these kinds of things is they get a um, an email saying, hey, UPS tried to deliver a package while you were out. Click on this link to get the tracking information. And you install a program and now you've got a virus. So, uh, so the, 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 the way that they are getting these installed on your computers, we call that social engineering. We're getting people to act, to behave in a, in a certain way by, pro, by providing them information that, that should provide and provide the outcome that the attacker wants. So by telling you, hey, you need to, you, you're going to have to appear in court, right? That, that's, that, that's something that people go, wait, what the hell? What, what do I have to be in court for? You know, and then they click on the thing, you know, and most of us, um, more tech savvy people, I should say, know that when you get something like that, that it's bogus. But I, but I'm finding the majority of people do not. Majority of people see this stuff and they get frightened. Right. Because, because it is designed to frighten. So, so like that, uh, FBI virus. Right. Well, which the, is dark. Very which dark. is similar to, to this virus. That is also ransomware. Mm-hmm. I think that's a ransomware virus. Yeah, don't quote me on that. So it's a ransomware. Yeah, you, they basically, you know, the ransomware principle is they tell you something is wrong with your machine, and they make you pay them. Okay, to yeah. get it undone. Yeah, we we we've seen a lot of that. Where um, there, there's places where you um, and I've seen a lot of these, and um, actually Malwarebytes has, has a lot of videos that online. I spent a day watching these things where they they they'll they they call up these people and say, hey, um, I was told you know that I had something on my computer, and what they do is they log into the computer, they install some malware, and they tell you, yes, you have malware, and it's going to cost you five hundred dollars to remove it. Um, <clears throat> So that's so I mean that that's that that's kind of um that yeah that's a type of ransomware. So but when now we have a um a a virus that is using something that actually I value against me and that's encryption. And I did want to talk about there's two types of encryption that that we generally see and one is and the first one is symmetric encryption. And this is the kind of encryption that um that they used, you know, like during World War II, where that with, uh, with what they would call a one-time pad. And so the idea is, is that you would have a, um, uh, you would send an encrypted message, and you'd use this pad um, that would basically obfuscate the message in, in a certain way, so that the other end could pull out the same pad and decrypt it. 
by by you know by matching letters to certain um, numbers or whatever, which is a basic substitution key. Right, a basic substitution key, and that's the simplest symmetric in- encryption. Um, and so and and that it was very important with uh, with those kinds of encryptions that you could ever only ever use the pad one time. If you, if it was used twice, then people would start to see. Um, they could compare the two and start to decrypt it. And actually, I think that that's one of the things we did with the, if I remember correctly, it was the Japanese used the same pad twice. Maybe it could have been the Germans, but one of them used the same pad twice. And after that, we were able to decrypt a lot of their messages. Um, I know with the Germans, we did actually get a hold of one of their Enigma devices. Right, we did that too, to, and we were able to decrypt some of their stuff. So that, so in, in that particular case... You know, that, that's pretty simple symmetric encryption. It, and it's, it's far more complicated now. We can use a much, um, a much hairier key and we can use a different cipher and different ways to, um, um, we can use better ciphers now. Um, but it's still, and, and it's nice because if you have, if, if you're sending messages and both sides know the key, have the same key, you're encrypting with the same key that you're decrypting with, it's, it's less computer intensive. The other type of encryption, is called asynchronous encryption. And this type of encryption is, uh, it, it works with two keys and what we call a public and a private key. So if you want to send me a message, you will, you will take my public key, encrypt the message, and then send it to me and I will decrypt it with my private key. And so we see that, um, it, uh, with a program called PGP or, um, or, uh, GNU PGP, which is pretty good privacy. And so there's a, um, and so that, yes. So the person who encrypted the message to you would not be able to unencrypt their message. That's exactly right. So once it's encrypted with the public key, it cannot be decrypted with the public key. You have, it can only be decrypted with the private key, which bears some relation to the public key, but not. Only, the only, it bears some relation only in that it is the counter key to decrypt it. Other than that, it bears no relation. Okay. So it wouldn't, so there's not, if you looked at the You can't two extrapolate keys, what the private key is based upon the public key. Exactly. Yeah, you would not be okay. able to do that. By comparing the keys, they're, they're, they're not similar. So, um, and all of this takes place behind the scenes, right? Like, this is happening right now and I don't even know it? Uh, a lot of the times, yeah. When you go to a site that uses SSL, you know, that, that stuff's being encrypted and decrypted um, behind the scenes. And what's nice about that is that um, the NSA can't intercept that traffic and decrypt it right away. So they're just storing it instead. Um, so, but that, so that's important. And, but this type of encryption is far more, um, compute intensive. So it, so it's not, so you use it for, you know, when you're sending a message, you know, back and forth. But for internet stuff, I'm pretty sure that that, it, that's, that is, um, that's a symmetric key that is, um, that, um, is exchanged. Um, but if you want, but one of the things that they'll do to verify that key, you'll use a public-private key signature. So the key will be signed with a, um, so you, you would sign that with your private key so that people can download your public key and verify your signature. So, so you can, so if you encrypt something with your private key, it can be decrypted with your public key. So it can go both ways. Help me understand why I would want to encrypt something. Okay. Financial um, information. Financial information would be one thing. Um, okay. I, I, if you're storing stuff on a public server that you don't want somebody else to be able to read, you might encrypt it then. 
Um, I I will inc- I use full disk encryption on my laptops in case um, in case it gets lost and somebody else gets the laptop, then they won't be able to get the data off the hard drives. So the so um, so if you have medical information and you and for some reason you have to you, you're you on a laptop, you would want that laptop fully encrypted. Okay. Or in the case of Brian's laptop, porn. Exactly. I encrypt my porn so that, you know. Yeah. That's a good plan. Yeah. Yeah, I keep that encrypted. Terry, have you ever actually had a piece of, mal- of ransomware on your system? Not that I know of. I run a, I don't run a PC, though. I use a Mac. Well, don't kid so, yourself. So they they figure you've already had got enough problems, so yeah. they don't. Say <laughs> yeah. no. I'm no, too I mean, cool for malware. Yeah, we're, we're seeing, we're, you know what? The, the way this works, Terry, is basically um, you have a problem on your system right now. You may not have seen it, but you have you have something on your system that needs to be cleaned up. And uh, if you pay me $30, I'll come over there and clean it up for you. You know what it reminds me of is that social engineering stuff reminds me of, um, like, the, the people who prey on older people, like, come to their door and try to sell them stuff. Or, that is absolutely like social it. engineering. It's, it's very like it. Yeah. Um, you know, even in some ways, some of the toolbars that you pick up in Internet Explorer are like that, too. My yeah. my father was absolutely convinced that he needed to have all eight of the toolbars that left him three inches of browser left to actually view his pages in. Yeah. He was convinced that he needed all eight of those toolbars or he couldn't browse on the internet. Wow. Okay. So but and, and so you're right, that I mean that kind of that that is definitely malicious activity. But what this particular piece of malware that I've been looking at does, what it does is once it gets onto your system, it looks for certain um, file extensions. And there's a whole list of file extensions. But basically, it's going to get your JPEGs. It's going to get your document files. It looks for a whole bunch of important files, and it encrypts all that data. So once it's encrypted... It ransoms it back to you. It tells you to get the to get the decryption key for this. You're going to have to pay, um, you know, three hundred dollars, and you have forty eight hours to to pay it. And you need to, and you know, it's going to, and they tell you how you have to pay the go about paying this to get the decryption key. So it encrypts it from you. You can't see your own stuff you, at, at that the, point. Yeah. So it's using right. it's using it against you. It's encrypting all of your data so that so that you can't so that you can't get to it. And then and then it's ransoming it back to you. And when we're talking JPEGs, we're talking, you know, they basically just stole the family photos. Right. So the reason the reason the type of encryption is important here is because they are using the public key to encrypt all of your data. To decrypt it, you're going to need the private key. But only they have that. Right. And the reason that you use that kind of encryption in this case is because if you use the symmetric key and it didn't get deleted when it was done encrypting, then that key would still be on the system and you would be able to just use that key to decrypt it. So to prevent you from being able to do that and to prevent them from making a mistake, they use a public-private key encryption and strong encryption. It's like 124-bit or something I was reading in some cases. It's strong encryption. And uh, so you, your, your data is lost at that point. So they're probably not coming after my family photos. So they're going mm. after bigger fish than no, me, they don't right? care. They do oh, they not care. care. In fact, your family photos are an excellent target because <clears throat> it, it, are they worth three hundred dollars to you? I don't know. I would say I have them stored externally. Ah, though, so. see, but there you go. You've protected yourself, but not everybody yep. has protected themselves. So, yeah, you're right. You're not the target that they want, but they don't care. Well, there's one other one other important criteria. Does she have $300 in her account? They don't care. Well, they do care because they, they don't. want to get paid. No, they don't care. Here's the, here's how this here's how this I'm works. Because I'm gonna call you Mac and have you loan me the 300 bucks. Right there you go. No, this is this is a numbers game, 
right? If I if I because it costs me nothing to send out this malware and see how many people I can infect and encrypt their data, right? I don't care how many people get infected because one of so many of those is going to is going to want their data bad enough that they're going to pay me $300. Even so even if if one out of 10, right? If I can infect a thousand machines, you know, you're going to come away with a pretty good exactly pretty good return rate on and that. it costs me nothing to infect your machine right there's no there's no there's no burden for for me to infect as many machines as possible because i'm just sending this malware out wherever i can so now do you think that they, that they care whether you're a target or not whether you whether you're going to pay or not they're going to try anyway sure yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, so the main things that you can do to prevent this, you know, are to back up your data externally. If you're backing up locally to to a drive, um, as long as that drive's not connected, when you become infected, you'll be okay. If it's connected during the infection, it's going to be encrypted too. And there's there's no reason that they couldn't do this on on a on a Macintosh system, but the, sure. but you're right, there are probably not as many targets. But we are seeing more and more malware for Macs. Oh, I'm sure. So yeah. it's coming. <clears throat> but I do you can want... also do, um, <clears throat> like if you've got like a network too, um, you can uh, set up, uh, just uh, set up the, your, your uh, drive to another network, but just set it up to a subdirectory so that, uh, uh, and then take that stuff off that subdirectory on that other computer or whatever. Sure, um, like, but once again, it, it can infect um, re, um, remote drives as well. If if, they, if they're mounted or or they're if it's some sort of a share, um, it can it it's encrypting that data. Yeah, anything as well. that's actually shared, that's right. Yeah, yeah exactly. And this if is it, gonna, if it's writable, it can encrypt it. Right. And if it's something like a a DVD no, that is yeah, not no. rewritable, it cannot encrypt. Yeah, it. no, it can't encrypt that. But this is a problem because in a large infrastructure. When somebody in your company gets infected with this virus, um, it's going to encrypt the data on the server as well. So now that data is encrypted. And so now a lot of times, you know, um, the, you know, you'll be running backups on your server and you'll have shadow copy. So you can get the data back. But before you get the data back, you have to track down the system that encrypted it first. And that's kind of a trick in some of these larger infrastructures. And so the, um, people are developing methods to look for this, um, for look for, for this malware um, in large corporations, so they can find the the the, um, the computer that's the problem in the first place. <clears throat> so on a home network, it's not as big an issue, um, but it definitely is an issue. But there are two products that I wanted to to bring up real quick that that provide encryption for people who who want to do this. So Microsoft has a, a program called BitLocker, which it provides a full disk encryption, and then there's TrueCrypt, which provides uh, a full disk encryption, but it can also do, um, you know, file encryption and directory-based encryption. It's a, it's more flexible than BitLocker. And that's the one that I use is TrueCrypt most of the time. Um, but in all of this, of course, the FBI is telling people not to pay them because it, because it does just encourage them. Because if you get, if you get paid once, you're going to keep doing it because the odds are that somebody else is going to pay you. And so, a, totally. yeah, so a U.S. The police department, um, got hit by this and actually pay had to and ended up paying to to decrypt their data, which I think is a you know personally I think it's kind of a travesty, but I understand why they had to pay. Well, it's a it it is a concern on on a couple of levels. One that this police department doesn't have um enough IT help that they're that they're getting important data backed up. That's kind of scary. 
um, and two, that, that, that they went against the FBI's recommendations and paid them. Yeah, what you just think about like if it's like a, a university hospital or some huge hospital system or something like that. Yeah, you know? so, and they cost them $750 is what they ended up paying, and they paid it in Bitcoin. <laughs> Which it, which you in know. itself is interesting. So they went and buy, they had to go buy a digital <sighs> currency to pay them. Yeah. Wow. I, uh, I mentioned the FBI virus and that is, that basically does a lot of the same things. Your system is essentially locked down right. and you can't get to it and you have to pay them with Walmart money packs, but it masquerades as being from the FBI. Right. I've that you, your computer has been found to be, you know, in violation of some, some, you, usually they say it's been it's been infected with like child porn or something like that, and they will you know they'll they'll say you have to pay like a three hundred dollar fine in Walmart money packs in order to get your system free, and you have to do it within a certain period of time. No, I've seen that one, but I've never actually seen it encrypt a computer. Um, usually no. it says it's encrypted, but it's not actually encrypted. So if you go in there, you if and you remove that portion of the of the problem, um, you your data is still okay. So it's right. just scareware more than anything? It is scareware, but you can't, it's not easy to get past to get to your sure. actual login. Yeah, no, you still You have can't to, get yeah. to your, for instance, your task manager or anything else where you might be able to kill the application that's running and actually get to the rest of your desktop. Right. So, yeah, so the, a lot of these things are difficult. But this particular one, if you get it, you, you either have to get your data from a backup or pay up the, or lose it. Those are your options. Um, that there's not a way around it. And, and because they're generating these encryption keys on the fly, um, it's not like, it's not like if one person gets one, then they can just send it around to everybody because they are right. done on a case by case basis. So, uh, it is, it, it is a problem. And now we're starting to see copycats. So other people are starting to do this. <clears throat> and it was interesting because there are these, uh, these kits, these malware kits that you can buy online that help you to produce malware. And one of the guys who was selling them, the, the main guy who would, that they were using for the crypto locker virus, they, they actually caught him. And so that one, and that one went off the market. <clears throat> and, uh, and these people developing this malware just switched over to, uh, to, a, to a different package and can, and just continued on. They, um, they, you know, they, they were not, uh, partial to any one vendor. They were happy to move on, move to a new vendor. It seems like it's such one of those things that, uh, could just evolve so rapidly. So like once we shut this one thing down or this one, you know, vulnerability down, something else is going to, they're going to find some other way to get in. You yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. It's just this ongoing. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, 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 yeah. a, it's an arms race. And, uh, well, that's why you, that's why you have to update your antivirus and your malware constantly. Right. But we knew it, about this for months and malware, there were no malware rules to, to defend against this. Are there malware rules against it now? I think that there are for some, yeah. But I mean, once again, it's evolving so quickly that the, the, it is not difficult to create a package that gets around malware. And you, there are tests or that gets around antivirus. And you can do a test. You can package something and you can test it against all the different malware to see if it's going to detect it. So as soon as it gets detected, you obfuscate it again and you keep sending it out. Pattern matching antivirus is, is pretty much a fail at this point. I mean, two thing, two things I want to mention. Um, I encounter a lot of times people who let their antivirus softwares expire so they no longer update. And wow, that is a, that is such a bad idea because those updates are part of your defense. They're part of what you have the antivirus software on your system for in the first place. Yeah, they are. They catch the low hanging fruit at least. Um, yeah. and it, the, and the other thing I wanted to mention is, you know, you were talking about obfuscation 
And one of the things that certain types of malware do is they will they will basically block you from downloading anti-malware products Yes. to get yeah. rid of them. And in terms of obfuscation, there's a product out there called Malware Bytes, and I love yeah. the fact that it obfuscates Wait, it, it gets itself it, 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 so yeah. that malware doesn't detect it. Well, because it because it was getting malware. it was getting caught by these programs so often. So now when you download it, it gives itself a random name for for the install. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's great. It it I, I think that what they did there was wise. Yep, oh. I love malware bytes. Yeah, no, I I do too. I like that program a lot. In fact, I use it a lot in my corporation. So yeah, so. Uh, I, does that make sense? What, what's going? I, I wanted to explain that as best I could. Is um, basically kind of a public service announcement as to you know how this works and that it's out there. I, I know that we're not we're not a tech podcast typically, but you know this particular um, arms race is interesting to me. I think it is interesting. I we don't it's have to a go social under- phenomenon though, right? Yeah, it has a lot of like the social engineering aspects yeah. are interesting, and yeah. um, I have a tangential question about long term storage, but we could discuss that another time. Okay, like, good, good, uh, good offsite storage. Options. You know, the, ma- the main thing to keep in mind when dealing with stuff like this is, um, and I guess it does have to do with skepticism. It's about critical thinking. Yeah, uh, making sure that um, you know you get a, a message or whatever. Make sure that it makes sense. Um, your bank isn't going to. Uh, uh, send you something asking you to install something uh, from your email you know, or whatever. Right. Or and ask you to pay in Bitcoins. And pay in Bitcoins. Well, and that's right. the other thing is that if you have to appear in court, you will get a legal summons, right? They're not going to send you an email. Yeah. Um, UPS never sends out an application. They always give you a number that you can use on their site. It's and for like the that. most part, you expect the package. You know what I mean? Like exactly they're... right. If you don't ins- if you don't expect the package, and that and that hit somebody in my corporation just recently that they got an email and they had been traveling and said, "Hey, UPS Mishua, you were traveling," and he clicked on the executable and opened it. And, uh, I just I, yeah. I could just blow my top when that stuff happens because I, the people in in I, I I I try to train my users right. You 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 try, um, but. It doesn't always. You don't. It doesn't always work. We need like a checklist, like a skeptic's checklist. Checklist, like the, before the problem, you click the yeah. thing. I mean, the problem the, is, is it's a situation by situation basis too. I cannot yeah. give you a checklist that's going to help you in every single, you know, um, every single situation. That I, all what I really need to, what I really can give you is the knowledge of of what's out there and what to look for, and then you have to apply that. To each situation. That's the only so, way that it works. There's, there's no, there's no toolkit that I can give you. You know, I mean, we can use our baloney detection toolkit and probably do okay, but it's, yeah, every situation is different and we, we have to adjust to the situation. Yeah. Well, you know, if, if, if the message pops up and says, Hey, your media player is out of date. Click here. Don't click. Go and go through the application itself and see if the media player needs updates. Right. That's if it's true. Windows Media yeah. Player, go through Windows. If it's Flash, the Flash executable <sighs> actually checks to see if it needs updates on a relatively frequent basis. So if you get a pop-up on the screen that says, your Flash player is out of date, chances are it's not. Well, I get my system generates update. Like, it generates. I'll get a notification yeah. from my... You know. Yeah, and and Apple's gotten better about that. But I'll tell you what: if you're running iTunes on Windows and it, and it wants to update, pff, punt, man. Good luck. <laughs> hey, so if we're done with that, I, I, this is what I want to move on to is 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 related. Um, but are, are, are we ready to move on? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I, I'd say we're ready to move on. 
show, then you know that I am a huge fan of the heroes that work at the NSA. They have kept America safe. In fact, thanks to them, so far, there has never been another September 11th, 2001. <laughs> Don't believe me? Check your calendars. And a recent study by the nonpartisan New America Foundation backs me up. A new analysis of 225 individuals linked to al-Qaeda and charged with terrorism since September 11th says NSA bulk surveillance programs, quote, had no discernible impact on preventing acts of terrorism. See? <laughs> I don't understand what people like Edward Snowden are so mad about. Is violating everyone's privacy really that bad if it doesn't even work? <laughs> Besides, it does not have to work. It just has to feel like it's working. Because of what Director of National Intelligence James Clapper calls the peace of mind metric. And folks, I get that. NSA surveillance is just like the handful of placebo sugar pills I take every morning to prevent canine hip dysplasia. So far, so good, though I have developed type 2 diabetes. Maybe I'm not taking enough sugar pills. The NSA, which is the National Security Agency, and um, and Edward Snowden has released a lot of a lot of um, um, top secret documents that that show us what techniques they're using to spy. And from this, we have we you know um, we've become as Americans, I hope, a little bit more concerned about what these agencies are doing. Um, and in in this process, you know, the NSA is getting a lot of scrutiny. And I thought it was interesting that the NSA calls up 60 Minutes to do an interview. And the guy that they that they called to do the interview used to work for the intelligence agency. For the NSA or for no, a different for, intelligence? For, no, for a different intelligence agency. Not for um, for the National Intelligence Agency? I don't Central know. Intelligence Agency? No, it was not CIA. Okay. I don't know. It, it, there's, you know, he gives the disclaimer um, that he used to work for. He just said um, National Security Maybe I, I didn't think he was it the NSA. Anyway, he used to work for um, he had a security clearance. Right. So he so he so he saw a lot of um, secret documents and stuff. So they chose that. That's the guy that they chose to come and and do the interview. And I mean, he asked the questions that needed to be asked. But when he got the answers that were just, I mean, fluff. He, he just moved on to the next question. It was not an in-depth interview. It was, I mean, it was a whitewash of the whole situation. But I, I just wanted to ask you guys what, how you feel about the fact that the National Security Agency is doing a PR piece. You know, I, I don't, it, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Or, you go for, no, go first. Uh, I don't think, generally speaking, except, you know, except when they happen to be on a TV show. I, I uh, uh, you know, when they happen to be featured in the episode of the week from your favorite, from your favorite crime drama, I don't think the NSA is generally that much in the public eye that they need to do a PR piece. So it's interesting to me that they would choose to do so. They have never done one before in the history, and they made a big point to that. They would ask these guys, you know, they asked the head of the NSA, "How many interviews have you done?" Said, this is the first one. It it it. it it's very telling that they feel that their operation is so compromised politically that they want to that they're trying to tell the American public, listen, we're not spying on, on you per se. It, it, you know, it's just these other people that we're spying on. Yeah, I. It's sketchy. It's because it's not like I don't know. I I feel like sixty minutes might not be the most credible 
I mean, I don't know. Their credibility has declined in yeah. recent okay. times. And um, so there's that piece. It's not like it's on, you know, NPR or CNN or, you know, someplace that maybe has a little more. And it's not like the news agency sought them out necessarily either. Like you were saying, they sought out this airtime to sort of paint this picture. And you wonder how, you know, were the questions vetted in advance? You know, how legitimate is it really? Yeah. Well, of course, they're only going to do and they're going to seek out doing an interview with like softball questions and stuff. Right. Well, and they're they're seeking to do the interview with the place that is the most in in our minds, in the hearts and minds of the American people. One of the places that is one of the most credible newscasts out there. Oh, see, I was arguing against their credibility. You think they're credible? I, I, I mean, think in the hearts and minds of people, yeah. I think in the hearts and minds of the American public, they think 60 Minutes is credible because it's an American institution. Because it sure. used to be credible. Well, it speaks to a larger issue, too, of just journalism generally and how much of that is is actual journalism and how much of it is just production. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, I was a little shocked um, that, that, that they did the piece because the fact of the matter is is that the NSA does not have to justify themselves to the American public. That is not their job. The only people that they have to justify themselves are Congress. Those right. Are the so people what is their have... motivation for doing this? Well, why exactly. do they give a shit what, what we think? What, why well, do they give a shit what we think? Because they're getting a lot of flack. They're getting a lot of flack, and maybe those people in Congress are getting a lot of pressure from the people that they represent right. to do something about the NSA. And I, I hope that that is the case, that that, that people's constituents are, 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 are calling in and saying, hey, what's going on here? Um and and hopefully that that really is why. But I just thought I just found it. I don't know. I found it a, a little awkward that this agency is coming on primetime TV to tell me, "Hey, listen, we're not collecting your personal data." Brian, it's okay. It's okay. We don't. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's a, it's also very uh, self-serving. You know, it's just like yeah, you can see that uh, it's so obviously self-serving. You know, um, they don't really have any showing the other side of the story to it. And and we pretty much know from the revelations that they, they've been lying about a lot of this stuff in the first place anyway. Exactly. So why would they be telling the truth on 60 Minutes all of a sudden? Well, that, that's a really good question, right? Why are we supposed to believe well, them it's, now? it's 60 Minutes. It has to be the truth. Well, and the fact of the matter is, is that they, they came on to television and they lied to the American public. They, I mean, what they said was not credible based on what we've seen in, in these Snowden documents. God damn it, Brian. Mike Wallace is on there. <laughs> you cannot tell me 60 Minutes is lying. Well, uh, no, not 60 Minutes was lying. No, no, no. The NSA was lying to us again. Right, and, try and taking they, it back now. Yeah, and they've been caught lying to Congress. And one of the things that really killed me that he said is that, you know, that they're, they're talking about the phones that, that, listen, we're not listening to your conversation. All we're doing is collecting the metadata associated with that conversation. Right. So, so what does that mean? Who picks the keywords that go into that metadata? There isn't any keywords. They look for a phone number and then they attach that to another phone number. What's attached to that phone number? What they say, all that they can see is they can see the phone number, the time of the call, the date of the call, right? And that's it. But the fact of the matter is, is that the metadata that's associated with those phone calls is is one hop away from a public database that has your name associated with that phone number. It's that simple. And so the and and a lot of this stuff can be done in the public. When you get when I get a phone number for that I don't recognize, what do I do? I Google you it. You Google it exactly. Yeah. And a lot of times I find out who was calling me. Yeah. Right. So the idea that the, that this metadata is not personal information is a lie 
because it's so easily connected to uh, to other information. And the fact that we can we um this was done like ten years ago, where where AOL released a bunch of search results, and people took those search results and they were able to correlate them, and and they were able to um take them back, and they were able to figure out who the person was that did those searches. And they didn't have any personally identifiable information. All they had was the metadata. All they had was what, what the person searched and the IP address and some stuff like that. And they were able to trace that back to real people. So the I, idea that I have, I was just going to say, I have to say the scope of this is what makes me so uncomfortable right. too, is just like how much Congress didn't know, how much Google didn't know, how much Verizon didn't know about how much the NSA was collecting. Well, in Prism is really interesting because they claim, Hey, we're not targeting, um, they they claimed on this television show that they're not targeting Google and Facebook and all these. But when we look at the Prism documents, we see that that they were putting in infrastructure just above um, the pipeline that goes to Google and all these places, and they were siphoning off all of that data and collecting it. And they're particularly interested in the encrypted data that's being held for who knows how long. And they can't decrypt it right now. But if they can get the keys somehow, or if they or if they compel Google to give up their keys, they can decrypt all of that data. Um, and the other thing is that when you send out an email, right, there is a lot of metadata attached to that. There's a lot of data that I can get out of that email without looking at the content. We know exactly where it's going. We know who it's going to. So, and there's no way to encrypt that information. So you can encrypt the content, but we still know who you're talking to. Yeah. It's also going to tell you what, what client sent it and what client received it. Exactly. So, yeah. So we, um, when you surf the web, we can actually, your browser can be fingerprinted. We know by by the add-ons that you have installed, what you're using, and where you, and 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 using other information. They can they can track that back to certain people. I mean, so does this mean I should only look at porn on my burner phone? Um. Well, I have some recommendations for looking at porn that we can go over. Um. <laughs> that you know that'll help. I you think out. that's better for another show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I think we show. should have a whole show about how to browse for porn. Right. So, <laughs> I favor. Uh, I favor. The sandbox IE personally, but mm, no, no, no. Well, that that's one step, right? What you really need to do is to set up a VM, encrypt that VM, full disk encryption on the VM, and then when you go into the VM, when you're going out and making connections onto the internet, you want to you want to do that through a VPN, so that so that um, the exit point is um, is also not being recorded, and then you want to make sure that when you're transmitting on that, you're not using any personally identifiable. Um, uh, data on the other end of that so it can't be traced back so it sounds like you've put a lot of thought into this no not me no <laughs> the 20 step <laughs> looking at porn <laughs> right. yeah, so, yeah but um, I mean, these are these are recommendations that i would give to people who want to try and be as anonymous as possible they might use tor they might use different things like that but it's so difficult to not give up something to, to make a slip up somewhere and give up something personal at some point well, what is our expectation of privacy? Like, well, how does a, this? That's a good yeah. question. I mean, I expect a lot more privacy than I feel like I'm getting. But on the other hand, I feel like anything I put out on the internet, on the internet, anything. I mean, it, I, I assume, I make the assumption that somebody can can get that information, then that it can be looked at, and that it's not secure. But yeah, I don't I do like too. that. I don't like the fact that I have to do that. I shouldn't have to do that. And and at this point, you know, the NSA can get all of that information. They they can get the upstream, you know, raw data, you know, because what's, of Prism. So what's the what's the analysis though? Like why they collect all this data from all these people who may or may not have anything at all to do with anything yeah. 
at all to do with terrorism or whatever they're looking for. They say they're not keeping it, or 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 they're keeping it, but they're not looking at it, or you know, they 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 make Something. a lot of. I don't know. If they're not looking at it, how are they preventing? If the whole my understanding is the whole idea is to prevent future terrorist attacks, future nine eleven. Well, the idea is that I guess that they can go back after the fact and look through that data to build a case. I don't know. Because the Tay stack is too big to use that data uh, to to actually catch terrorism in action. I don't. I, I would think. I mean, the, the more data you collect, the bigger the haystack, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then if you're looking for a needle and you don't know what it looks like. Well, yeah. So I, I'm I'm totally in favor. Like I'm using a program called Threema to to um, to talk to my wife. So all of our um, all of our all of our SMSs are encrypted. Uh, I think that people should be generating just as much encrypted traffic as possible to to make that haystack bigger. Yeah. And you it's know, unfortunate, Brian, you know, you, because I like that idea. I like the subversiveness. Of yeah. Exactly. It's it's yeah. I guess Brian, you saw thing. the. You remember the cartoon I sent you about uh, encrypting the phone for against the NSA. Um, I you know I did I did remember seeing it, but okay. I can't remember it. Okay, the the cartoon. These two guys are getting ready to engage in a con in a in a conversation, and one of them says, "Okay, I'm going to engage my encryption protocol." And he says into the phone, "Okay, anybody listening from the NSA, I'm going to be filling this conversation oh, with yeah. random spoilers yeah. from Game of Thrones season two. <laughs> yeah. And the next panel, you see a guy at an MS NSA office hanging up the phone, and his superior saying, "Johnson, what the hell?" <laughs> yeah. hey, but you know, the other thing is, is that you know, I try not to slip into conspiracy theory mode, but when I'm but when I'm looking at this stuff, it is so easy to you know to to to. I don't know. It's so easy to get into that mindset, you know, uh, of us against the government too. And oh, totally. I don't know that that's necessarily a, a good thing, but it just seems like they're they're not trustworthy, right? So we have to protect ourselves whether we can. And and in doing that, it might it actually probably does make that harder for them to use that data to catch terrorists. Well, and what happens well, you know, when the homeland security laws change? So the right, like, so what's considered a threat right now? Yeah. Maybe, maybe, uh, gay men talking to each other is a threat 10 years down the road and they have this huge haystack of gay men talking to each other or whatever, atheists talking to each other. Yeah. All of a sudden that's a threat. I, I don't know. And if you're, in, and if you're calling us from Canada, <clears throat> you know, you're not protected at all. No. Wait a minute. Um, oh my God, this I mean, Skype you know, call. They, they, they say all these things too about, uh, uh, oh, we're only, you know, we're trying to target people who aren't Americans, you know, and, I, and I'm like, Hey, wait a minute. Uh, I'm Canadian. I'm talking to somebody American. I'm not covered by this. Uh, why are us Canadians uh, not considered to have as much privacy rights under your laws? Yeah, isn't that, isn't that kind of scary? It, it kind of does make you go, wait a second. So anybody who isn't an American citizen is is completely free game. That means that every other government must think the same thing. That we're free game. That's so sobering. Right. Yeah. You, Brian, you do realize that the most recent update to Internet Explorer has technology in it that detects if you're a conspiracy theorist and blocks you from the information you're seeking. Oh, uh, excellent. <laughs> that this is why I still use Firefox for building my conspiracies. Yeah, I actually made that up. Yeah. Oh well. Okay. Yeah. I, I would assume. <laughs> I would assume, right? <laughs> but, but it's plausible. Well, I mean, the nice thing about Internet Explorer is that it pretty much prevents you from getting on the internet. Period. So it, I was going to say yeah. people still use Internet Explorer. <laughs> yeah, no, but um, to go back to the point, I, 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 it is kind of scary that we completely disrespect every other government's citizens' privacy. That, that that they are somehow fair game, and I don't I don't think that that's right either from a uh, human rights perspective. No, but aren't we fair game right now in this Skype call though? Because isn't absolutely. It? 
because we're Americans talking, talking to foreign citizens. Well, yeah, but now they say only if you're talking to a terrorist. You guys want to join my jihad against America? Yeah, exactly. There we go. No, see, there we go. <laughs> oh, no. no, we know I about the jihad. You say that. There we go. <laughs> it's all over now. Bomb, bomb. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. To go back to my initial point, I was, I thought it was, it was, it made me uncomfortable that the NSA is trying to, is, is subverting the process and going directly to the American public and telling us that it's okay. We're protecting you. We're not really spying on you. And, and they, and they came to tell us that when really they, they have no reason to come and tell me that they have to convince Congress. Right. It, no, it, I agree. It's, it makes yeah. me feel uncomfortable. And, and even if everything else that I've said is wrong, even if I'm wrong about the spying, the fact that they're coming out to tell me that it gives me the creeps. Yeah. You're not the droids we're looking for. Yeah, exactly. You're not the droids we're looking for. That's exactly how I feel. Yeah. But it was an excellent, um, PR piece for the, uh, for the NSA. And I believe I bought a free toaster. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> is there anything else? Are we done? I think we're done. I think we're done. I but think we point. need to finish this call with the foreign citizen, man, and yeah. rethink how we do this. Let's yeah. encrypt it next time. It makes me feel creepy that we're talking to a Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to invade you. Yeah, exactly right. You're coming to get <laughs> us. You know, I've mentioned before that the, the Canadians do walk among us undetected. <laughs> I thought they had flip-top heads. I thought we could tell. <laughs> I, for one, welcome the oversight of our mounted police overlords. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Say goodnight, well, everybody. When the, uh, oh. when the Canada geese arrive in the red coats, we'll both mount, <laughs> the Mounties are right behind them. <laughs> Say goodnight, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody. It's another one in the can. Have a good evening. Well, if you've made it this far, that's an hour of your time. You're never getting back. But the amateur skeptics appreciate you giving that hour to us. If you'd like to tell us how you felt about spending that hour with us, let us know at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. You could always roast us in a voicemail at 720-295-7785. The Amateur Skeptics Podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons share-alike, no-derivatives, 3.5 license. So, hand it to an unsuspecting friend, but please, just don't change the content. Intro music by Peter Cannell. Find more of Peter's music at soundcloud.com forward slash P-K-A-N-O-L. Exit music by OFM. Find more of their music at myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. Artwork for the Amateur Skeptics by Sean Smith Ford. Copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture.